0: Support for this episode of Judaism Unbound comes from the Ashman Family JCC in Palo Alto, California, whose vision is to be the architects of the Jewish future. The Ashman Family JCC empowers you to experience Jewish paths toward a life of joy, purpose, and meaning through innovative Jewish learning and wellness programs, community building, and initiatives to develop the next generation of Jewish leaders. Learn more at www.paloaltojcc.org. This is Judaism Unbound, episode 297, The Power of Should. Welcome back, everyone. I'm Dan Liebenson.
1: And I'm Lex
0: Rothberg. And on this podcast, we're often arguing against the use of the word should in Jewish spaces. Our idea is that we're in this time of transition Jewishly and there's this whole pile of raw material that has been part of Judaism or Judaisms in the past, and there really isn't a right way to be Jewish, but rather there's an opportunity to mine and remix this pile of resources in the creation of a new version of Judaism But the word should shouldn't be completely wiped off the map. And actually, our guests today are the co-hosts of a new podcast called A Bintel Brief, the podcast, which is all about shoulds. It's taking an advice column that used to be published in the Yiddish Daily Forward, also called the Forverts newspaper. Back in the day, it actually started in the early 20th century. And now, over 100 years after its founding as a written advice column, there is a podcast version, as there should be. And today in our conversation, we're basically going to be looking at this question of what is Jewish advice? What is a Jewish advice column? And advice columns talk a lot about what people should do. So we're excited to jump into this conversation with our guests today, Gina Green and Lynn Harris. Gina Green is a strategist, consultant, movement builder, now helping Jewish and other organizations change through her new firm, Uprise, where she is a partner and chief strategy officer. Previously, she spent two years as the chief strategy officer at Bend the Arc Jewish Action. At Uprise, Gina Green leads the practice on diversity, equity, and inclusion and philanthropic advising within the Jewish community. At Bend the Arc, she led communications, advocacy, electoral, and PAC, serving as a key spokesperson, and she cultivated relationships across the faith and progressive movements. She also co-chaired the racial equity team, created the first-ever affinity space for people of color on the staff, and conducted a longitudinal review of the organization's racial equity journey to inform future work. Gina Green also sits on the boards of the Women's March, Political Research Associates, the Jews of Color Initiative, and Bend the Arc. Lynn Harris is a writer, brand builder, creative strategist, and comedian. She's the founder and CEO of Gold Comedy, the comedy school and community for women and non-binary folks who want to be their funniest selves. She's also the co-creator of one of the earliest internet success stories, Breakup Girl, the only superhero who can both bend steel bars and mend broken hearts. She's an award-winning journalist, author, novelist, communications executive, and comedy producer, performer, and instructor. Plus, she's a co-founder of the comedy event series Persisticon, which raises money to elect women. We are really excited about this new podcast in the Jewish podcast ecosystem, and we're super excited to welcome these wonderful co-hosts of the podcast. So, Gina Green, Lynn Harris, welcome to Judaism Unbound. It is so great to have you.
2: Thank you.
3: Really great to be here.
0: Well, I wasn't going to start out our conversation with a request for personal advice, but but it just sort of turned into that a little bit where I was trying to put my hands on a particular book that I have because years ago in a time of my life, actually, I'm not out of that time in my life where I was constantly acquiring Jewish books. I bought the book that was put out by the foreword called The Bintel Brief, which was a collection of the written questions and advice columns from the foreword. And I wanted to grab that today to prepare for this conversation that I couldn't find it anywhere, which leads to the personal advice issue, which is that I have a problem in my marriage of me acquiring a lot of stuff and my spouse not liking that and thinking that it's not worth it this to acquire all that stuff. This is not the direction I realized. It, but I like it. yeah, I like it, it just went. <laughs> I don't really need the advice, but but I was gonna uh, basically ask for you to tell us a little bit about what the source material was for your reboot of a Bintel brief. What what was the original Bintel brief in the foreword? What was it all about?
2: Well, we known, Dan, we could have started with you this season. (laughs) Well, next Uh, season, that'll be uh, uh, episode one. But yes, our our original source material goes way, way, way back. Uh, The column was founded in 1906 when the folks at The Forward were realizing that uh, there was demand, meaning that people were literally walking to The Forward to the offices to ask for advice or help or because it really was also kind of a, a community center. So, uh, turned into a column where the editors were able to answer questions from Jews who had immigrated from Eastern Europe and had found or were reconstructing or constructing their communities here. And they had questions, questions like, and uh, more questions, (laughs) and more questions. How do I keep up my romance with Esty back in the old country? How do I deal with a, a bad boss. A lot of the questions were answered in a very labor rights kind of place and became not just a source of advice, but really an institution that captured a particular time, place, and community.
3: That source material, that history is really rich. And when the Forward was Forwards, right, like 115 plus years ago, the audience, the community, the culture was very, very monolith. We are not that anymore as a Jewish community in the United States. So like in the, in a way, the source material is so rich and so important and what's really incredible about what we're doing, I think in this sort in this reboot is that even though we are such a different community, we look differently, we act differently we speak differently than we did back then. What I think we're able to show in the podcast is how, more things change, the more they actually do stay the same. Um, And we have Hannah our the Forwards archivist, who joins us for episodes sometimes and actually reads some of those old school, old world letters. And it's like, wow, we are different and we're not. And that's really what feels special. Well,
0: there's a way that I was curious about the What brought about the reboot or whether this was fully conscious or not conscious and whether it's something that you've seen as you've been doing it. My experience of listening to the podcast has been partly that, wow, maybe the time that we're living in now is actually, it's not just that the more things change, the more they say the same, or that it's been continuous. It's like, maybe we really are in a time that's analogous in a certain way to 100, 150 years ago, where what was going on back then was this immigrant population coming to this new land and trying to figure out, how do I be Jewish in this new place? And now we're seeing a lot of people that have been Jewish in America for the last 100 years, and there was a certain way to be Jewish in America over the last 100 years, and they're now encountering all these other... Ways in which they're meeting things, whether it's in their family or in their community, that also feel like unfamiliar again.
2: I hadn't thought that's I mean, I hadn't put it together exactly that same way, kind of encapsulating how, how do we be Jewish now? Who are we as Jews now? Which relates to a question we get asked also, which is why is this a Jewish? what What is Jewish about this podcast? What is Jewish about your advice? And I think what you're asking is the through line even the, or constitutes the through line, even though not all the questions are exactly on the nose. So short answer, yes. Uh-
3: <laughs> <laughs> I think also that there is an element of modern Jewish community in the United States actually because the community has been changing before our very eyes and and outside of our vision for many of us that we actually don't know who we are thinking about the recent study that came out from the Jews of Color initiative in August about you know beyond the count talking about Jews of color experiences right like that was news to a lot of Jews who aren't mm-hmm. Jews of color and to me, that means that we are like figuring out and making Judaism right now, making our community in a way that um, is exactly analogous to 115 plus years ago.
1: Yeah, yeah. So, okay, so we're we're straddling two lines so far and I want to like make explicit this wonderful straddling. There's a reboot happening, you use that word and I think that's fascinating. That word is a claim, right? And I'm not, I'm not saying the claim is incorrect, but like somebody could argue, somebody could have the opinion that a podcast is not a reboot of an advice column, right? Like somebody could make the claim if something is like a written advice column, one would reboot it by having another written advice column, but having a podcast is a different thing. And I think that person would. Maybe, I mean, if I were to deep dive, right? like I think there's elements of what they're saying that are onto something in that there is something where the, the medium actually shifts what's happening mm-hmm. in, in terms of the kinds of conversations you have and who you're having them with. But there's also a way in which I would push back and say, oh, of course a podcast can continue, can be like a next step on something that was written. We inhabit a news ecosystem where we take for granted that all sorts of publications that started as written newspapers are now digital newspapers mostly or sometimes exclusively and so i i kind of want to talk about the medium question we're, we're two podcasts here right like we are yep. um we're neighbors in a sense like we live next to each other in apple podcasts and google podcasts and <laughs> spotify like w- when people click on one of us they might see like podcasts you might be interested in the other judaism unbound ah pintlebridge great like that matters in a in a serious way. Like the the I thought Dan was actually going this direction when he was talking about how we're living in an analogous time to 120 years ago. What I thought Dan was going to say, what I was thinking, is there was a mass migration that happened between 1880 and 1920, um, 1924. And now we're having sort of a parallel mass migration, except we're not all leaving the country, but we're sort of adding on this new place we live in or inhabit, which is the digital world. And so I was curious how you think about your work as a podcast, um, but also as a continuation of a written advice column.
3: That is such a good question, because one... Look, one of the things we know that Jody Rudorn, who is the forward's editor in chief and has been there for a couple of years now, one of the things that she's public about that she was charged with doing was expanding the digital offerings and the digital presence. And you know, to your point, Lex, the reason is because everyone listens to podcasts now. Now we also know that uh, many of, shall we say. A Bental Brief's most loyal readers are probably not on the podcast train yet. So there is an element of bringing a Bental Brief to a new generation, a new community within the Jewish community that's really important. So I think that this digital expansion is both expanding the audience as well as giving us a new way to have and give advice, right? You get to participate. Like there's something about being, even though our listeners, you know, this isn't live, they still get a recorded, edited version of our advice giving. They get to be a part of the process. They get to hear what we're going through, what we're talking through. They get to sort of feel that advice giving is not just about the tactical steps and tasks that we tell you to do, it's about what we think about as we're getting to that end point. What's the process we go through? What are the questions we ask? What's important? And being a podcast allows us to do that.
2: The, the words that you're using, I was thinking through, is it a reboot? Is it what do we call it? And I was thinking about what, what are the words that we use? There's like remake, you know, we're going to remake Dirty Dancing. Often you ask why? Or, you know, they did Hairspray three different times. And, and I can opine on a different podcast around which ones I like best. There's, so there's remakes and then there's reboots and i think the implication of a reboot is that you're actually aggressively trying to do something to add a new layer to add a new lens we we talk a lot about how we take the letter as a finished text we do like exegesis you know we like really um interpret the text we do close reading and we we wonder about word choice we notice that in one of our favorite actually i think our first episode we talked a lot about how the fact the letter writer didn't ever actually ask a question, you know, and what does that mean? Okay, so anyway. Um, Even if
1: the Talmud.
2: <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, but, it, but the way things were in Bintel Brief 1.0, so was the answer. Like, it was done, it was finished. Didn't mean people couldn't talk about it at the kitchen table. I'm sure my grandparents on my mother's side did. Um, it did continue into the I'm sure you know, the conversation went out into the into the community, especially when actually some of the letters they published were designed to be that now that those kind of responses and the later conversation like this one become part of the conversation and extend and expand the conversation. And that's intentional. That's why I think, you know, and this is, I think we're more like a digital Brief 3.0 or something like that, because the column has continued. There have been some terrific, wonderful writers answering right. um, great questions. I don't want to, you know, I definitely want to mention them. And it's been online, but now with the audio, it's a whole nother number. It's a third dimension or however, I lost track. So I think, and and that brings us full circle, I think, to the whole idea of community. The community is completely different. It's more diverse. It's expanded. It's all over the place. But it's still people who sense something in common and have agreements and disagreements and similarities and differences, but who consider themselves connected. And the podcast platform has enabled us to broaden that even further.
0: I'm curious who you see as the audience for the podcast and both who it is currently and who you imagine that it ought to be. Because as I was thinking about it, first of all, I'll I'll just note that we, we think about this all the time because we have an imagined audience member by the way, like my dad, I, I'm revealing all my uh, all my issues that are going on in my family here. But my dad will say, for example, you know, we should have more rabbinical school professors on the podcast. And I'm like, Dad, you know, you're not really the primary audience for this podcast, you know, um, so maybe we a have little this biased a-
3: with that recommendation. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Also, uh, so- my husband is a dean of the New York campus of the Reform Seminary. So, like, tell your dad I can hook you
0: up if it ever comes to that. <laughs> OK, good. Well, so I'm like, hey, Dad, maybe we'll start another podcast for, for you know, rabbis. But um. But we have this idea, right, that our primary audience that we're pitching to is is what we call a disaffected but hopeful Jew, you know, somebody who's not really feeling great in, inside the existing landscape of institutions, but still really feels positive about being Jewish and wants to find something meaningful. Now, that said, a lot of people that are different do listen to our podcast and, you know, meaning rabbis like my dad, you know, and many members of our primary audience don't listen to our podcast because they don't listen to any Jewish podcast because the whole point is that they're kind of alien. From Jewish institutions, right? So one of our big questions always has been how do we how do we over time get more and more members of our primary imagined audience to actually become our our real audience. And I'm I'm wondering about that in terms of what you're doing, because I kind of think about who is really itching to listen to a Jewish advice podcast. I would imagine it's more sort of older generation Jewish insiders, right? The brokenhearted Bubby who's saying, you know, something's going on and I really want to get advice about what to do with this Jewish problem. And so I'm going to ask a Jewish advice podcast. But I was kind of listening to that and wishing that the bubby's granddaughter also listened because mm. I feel like she would assume that if I go to a Jewish place for advice about a question like this, you know, I'm intermarried and we're going to both do the, the baptism and the simchat bat.
1: For the context of this conversation about the brokenhearted bubby from the Binto Briefs podcast, check out their 10th episode, um, which is entitled Heartbroken Bubby. And you can get a little bit of a better sense about what this question is. Um, We hope that the context provided here helps. But just if you want to dive deeper, head to our show notes, click the link to that episode of Mental Briefs.
0: You know, that if I would take that to a rabbi or some Jewish authority figure, they're going to say, no, we don't do that. Whereas if they took it to you, you would give this much more subtle, as you did... Conversation about it, and I so wish that those people would come to your podcast. Or your- I hope so
3: too. I hope that that um, that the granddaughter, the daughter, write in with a question or or two later on. I think that that's part of the reason why we're doing it as a podcast. Like we weren't hired to reboot and replace the writers because there is a newer generation of folks who we hope (laughs) are going to be as interested in a mental brief as the podcast, as we were as a community in a mental brief when it was literally just in, in, in the written edition. Right. What makes this, what makes this, we've talked a a few different times about how this podcast is Jewish. And I really want to appreciate sort of the difference between us answering questions and giving advice rather than your friendly neighborhood rabbi. Like I do think that there is a difference and and also I don't want to suggest that just because you're a rabbi you won't be as open and as accepting and get, be able to give as much of a nuanced reply or set of advice than we would. And I think there is something accessible about it being us, about it being, you know, mom to uh, four kids, two of whom are queer, like, you know, like it's, I think that there's from the South. I think that there's something about who we are as people that makes it possible for us to be listened to, not just by, you know, the old generation, but the new one and also not Jews. I think there's something about the story we tell about the Jewish community to everyone else when we are giving advice to that's really important. First off,
1: my hope is that people listening to you on our podcast will, in fact, go and listen to you on your podcast afterwards. So homework assignment for everybody out there listening, definitely do that. Um, and if you're somebody from the Brief side who is just finding Judaism Unbound, like, welcome. Hello. It's great to meet you. But I, I am curious if you, for folks who haven't listened to your show yet, um, could you just sort of talk us through what your show feels like? to somebody listening, and also to some extent, like what the process is of, of creating it?
2: Basically, we, we launch every podcast, we say hello, and we just like launch into the letter that we're reading for the day. And then right after we kind of have feels about it, you know, we just say what it makes us think of or why it makes us laugh or cry or something or both, um, why it makes us cr- craft. And um, you heard it here, new coinage. Not great. I love not crap. Great. Oh my
1: god, it's better than lie. That would be the other way to con- combine I know, I laugh quickly, and cry. I like, how do we lie? No, that's not head. what yes. we mean. Yeah. yeah.
2: Um, and then we start talking about it. We start talking. We kind of um, naturally go from a kind of discussion of like, what do we think is up? Like, what do we think right. it, this is about? And then we kind of segue from there to, well, what should this person do? Um, And two spoilers, we... uh, Whoa, whoa, whoa. Two, Lynn? Come on. Yeah, two spoilers. We often do not disagree. The other is that um, nine times out of 10, our advice is, go talk to them. Then... We bring on a guest or two, might be someone with more with additional expertise in a particular area, but who helps us helps us explore larger themes, whether they're about the workplace or how to you know how to talk about um, different politics in your family, how to deal with that. Uh, I know that's a very uncommon issue for folks. Um, and then we also <laughs> often have um, Hanna Pollock. Who is we love her? She's um do. you know the Ford's archivist who brings in letters, reads them partly in Yiddish, translate them translates them hilariously. The other day she translated one and um, she translated a Yiddish word into haters, which I thought was awesome and very relatable. Um, and then we kind of we wrap it up all in about half an hour.
3: Yeah, and I'll tell you that every question is not just about the question that that particular person is writing at that particular moment in time. There is always something bigger, something broader, something more universal that goes beyond the specifics of their situation. And our guests are often helping us move from that sort of micro level to the macro level, and really creating a conversation that is not just for people experiencing that one thing. It's not just for Jews. It's not just for heartbroken Bubby, that it really can be for all of us. And quite frankly, look, Lynn is funny. I like to think I'm funny. We're fun to be around. And I think that you like, I'm just really we're fun. We're fun. Seriously, I promise we are. And I think that that's a part of the appeal too, is that we're able to do this and have sort of a little bit of a deep conversation sometimes, and not so deep at others, but still applicable and, and, and relatable to a lot of people.
1: The proof text of the two of you being fun. If we're making combo words, we made craft before, Gina and Lynn could be combined into gin. <laughs> and I find that gin is a fun thing to have yep. in certain kinds of social situations. Indeed. So yeah. therefore, we have proven that the two of you are
3: fun. Love it.
2: Love and it. I, yeah. And that's a very elegant, like portmanteau for us, because I never really actually thought about how our names basically are just made of two N's.
3: Correct. Um, wow. And it's, it's,
2: I think that's even more of this Bechert situation, Gina, because your name could be spelled with one N and then like kind of so what? Right. But like it's spelled with two N's like mine. Also, you don't have an E on the end. You know what I'm saying?
1: Yeah, a lot. wait okay so this this started as a joke but now i now i really want to run with this because what know, you just right? did I, I was already going to ask a version of a question that was like okay you said this is different from a rabbi like going to a local rabbi which it is but i also want to shout out that this is like a deeply traditional kind of thing and the reason why the two ends matters to that is that what does tr- jewish text do at like every page turn it says ah there's this extra letter here. There's this extra word here. It's superfluous. Yes. What right. meaning can we draw right. from this? Ah, it yes. means that there's two things and not one thing that we could like. That's what it does. Like literally, All page by page. <laughs> All and the time. And I know that that like I know that your podcast is not necessarily a sequence of here's superfluous letters in our in the letters that folks sent to us, and now we're going to make meaning out of it. But like, there is a way in which the process you're taking on of not just asking your rabbi but asking non-rabbis for advice is itself like a deep rich jewish practice with a very long tradition we don't talk about that tradition as much because it seems like rabbis don't want to talk about it too much because they want you to ask the rabbis the questions as opposed <laughs> to asking like not. your neighbors he's like go um, ask go th-
2: ask a vigil ma- brief I, yeah I, they're, I'm they're, busy. <laughs>
1: they're busy sometimes so like yeah ask other people but like I, i'm curious about linguistically how you talk about yourselves as the forward and all of that. But like the forward is this funky thing where it in its original context, it was very much not looking to be sort of religious in quotes. Tradition like it was it was reaching a Yiddishist audience. It was reaching a largely New York audience. It was reaching like many people who thought of themselves as secular. It still reaches many of those kinds of people. But there also is a way in which I think what you're doing, even as it's not a rabbi giving advice there is kind of a religious piece of this. I don't know, or maybe you disagree with me. Like like there's a way in which part of why somebody might look to a Jewish advice column as opposed to a universal not sectarian advice column does feel like it connects to questions of community of tribe of like set of people that sort of get it for lack of a better term. And so I'm curious to hear from you like do you see, like how do you think about those questions of religious not religious we're not rabbis but we're still some kind of sort of jewish anchored approach
2: just to be clear you know i don't think uh, i don't think that you know rabbis give one kind of advice and like civilians give another kind of advice necessarily <laughs> civilians. um so for example um i keep referencing my husband my husband happens to be a reform rabbi but like i don't think his advice you know if people came to him what do i do about this but i don't think his first in fact I know that his um his first answer would not have been to like pick up a dusty volume you know and, and like turn to a page and be like it says here there's an extra letter why this could help you you know I don't think it is true obviously there are, there are people who go to a rabbi because they feel that that is a someone they can trust
3: a trusted source um right.
2: but I also don't think that people necessarily Want advice from people who are—I don't want to say superior—is the wrong word. I think sometimes people want advice from people who might even be more relatable, um, broadly speaking, who might kind of reflect you back to you in a way that you might presume that a rabbi might not. So I kind of feel like different people, different things. I used to write—I um, used to write an, an advice column that was extremely popular when there were when there were only like five hundred thousand people on the internet. Um, actually was extremely popular, but in any case, um, for, a, a, a character that I co-created and a website that I co-created with my, um, creative partner, Chris called breakup girl and breakup girl was, is a superhero who helps people with romantic emergencies. Short, long story short, the, the number of letters we got was madness. Um, uh, it was very, very popular and when we, and we didn't think, but, and I think there was something about, and, and it was written, you know, in the, from the point of view and the character of a superhero of a cart, literally a cartoon superhero. She Breakup Girl is a is a superhero but a, a relatable one um uh, like a little bit low rent and so um I think there was something there about she's definitely more super than me but she's still kind of like me so this the character um so I think that this is someone who will understand is not above me but um has you know it's just a little more more super than me enough that she's going to be able to tell me what to do
3: Lynn, you've mentioned, um, David, who's a reform rabbi at the other end of the religious spectrum is the Orthodox community. They're, they go to rabbis for not just advice, but for like <laughs> actual, like, here's what you should do. Religious yeah. decisions that like, you've got, this is, we're going to take what you just said, we're going to look at halakha, Jewish law, and we're going to give you the answer that you should do that would be in accordance with an orthodox interpretation of the Jewish law that's related to what you're coming to them for advice for, right? Like, I mean, thinking about some yeah. of the questions that came up, there were a few that if it happened to an orthodox family or an orthodox person, they wouldn't have come to us, they would have gone to their rabbi. But there might be people who Are within orthodoxy who are like, actually, I don't, I don't want to go to my rabbi about this for that same Mm -hmm. reason that you just said, Lynn. And because I run in modern, modern orthodox circles, it's getting harder just to be plainly up, like it's getting harder and harder to claim that tradition over the last several years. As I think I've, as I've seen sort of the modern orthodox and orthodox community change, um, in recent years, it's been, tough to be a part of and see. And so like I feel like I'm distancing myself in a way from that. But someone can bring a question to a bental brief, but because I'm there and I have that tradition, I can say, hey, this might be something that your rabbi would say X, Y, or Z about, because I know <laughs> what that rabbi would say X, Y, or Z about. And I think that's cool and that's good. And so in some ways we can be able to bring a little bit of that religiosity to it. If someone wants it or needs it or if it's applicable.
0: Well, it reminds me a little bit of a story that somebody once told me that they were in a meeting and this person was secular, but they were in a meeting among other people. There was an Orthodox person and he was telling a story about how some client gave him a cake, but the cake wasn't kosher and he didn't know what to do. And so he went to his rabbi and he asked what to do, if he could just give it to his non-Jewish neighbor next door. And the rabbi said no, because maybe the next door neighbor who's not Jewish would give it to a Jew and say that this Jew next door had given it to him. So then the person would assume that it was kosher and he would you know, inadvertently lead somebody to, to eat a non-kosher cake. And my friend who told me this story, who was secular, which just couldn't get over, first of all, that this person had even asked a rabbi this question. (laughs) You know, if this person was, you know, a highly educated professional, like you can't just decide what to do with the cake, you know, and the other (laughs) thing was that that he had taken the advice and actually thrown out the cake. A perfectly good cake was thrown out because the rabbi had this you know, multiple level idea of what was gonna to happen to the cake. And it struck me, it strikes me as I reflect on that story and I think about what you're doing with the podcast that one of the things that's missing, that feels like it's kind of missing in Jewish life for, all, for really Jews at, at every part of Jewish life, whether they're Orthodox or completely secular, We don't really have a lot of contexts in which we feel like Jewish wisdom, whatever that might be, is a useful kind of wisdom that helps us, like you were saying earlier, figure out what to do in elements of our lives that we don't think of as Jewish exactly. You know, we don't think of it as Jewish Mm -hmm. primarily. When I think about what you're doing, I think, wow, maybe you're really starting to re-equip people with this idea that... Jewish wisdom, like as the Talmud misquotes the Torah saying, it's not in the heavens, you know, that that this wisdom is given to us as human beings. And we have the capacity to understand it, especially in the 21st century, and to then talk amongst ourselves to say, hey, does Judaism have anything worthwhile to say about this bad boss that I have or whatever, as opposed to people thinking, well, it's about a bad boss, it has nothing to do with Judaism, so I'm neither going to look to Judaism for advice, nor am I going to take it to a rabbi, because it's obviously not a Jewish question, but that feels to me like an overly narrow understanding of Judaism and a, an understanding of Judaism that makes Judaism like only relevant to Jewish things. And therefore, why should I even be participating in this if it doesn't have anything to say about my life? So I kind of feel like what you're doing has the, has the potential, or maybe it's growing out of a, a, a yearning to bring this Jewish stuff back into our lives to, to try to figure out if it's even worth taking seriously.
2: For those of you who who are yet to listen to a mental brief, you'll find that most of the questions are actually not um, are not about a Jewish thing, and our answers. Often call upon like specific types of things in Jewish tradition, like uh, lashon hara, like evil tongue. For example, we talk about one time, but you could have just talked about that in terms of gossip. Although there was a nuance that was different, Um, cliffhanger there. But um, (laughs) so, so the it's not so much it's not so much about whether the questions are about something Jewish or whether the answers are. To me, it's more the process and the point of view. Like, and also just de facto, you got a couple of Jews in the room, so like by definition. Something about the advice is going to be Jewish, because here we are. Another thing, a dilemma, like the cake. My husband and I were going to a friend's house for dinner, and she knew nothing of kashrut, their big dinner party. They wanted to make sure that whatever they served was kosher for us. At the time, we were now, we don't even really eat meat, but at the time, we did a little bit. And so she said, I'm going to get you guys kosher chicken. We said, that's so nice. Come to the party and back and forth. Where do we get it? Blah blah blah. We're like, we really don't have to do this. We can eat whatever else. It's really fine. No 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 no. Get to the party and there's um and Ellen you know brings us into the kitchen. Um, shout out to Ellen. Um, brings us into. Oh my god, I never told her this. Okay, shout in to Ellen. Um, anyway, I never told <laughs> this. Um, we get to the party. Our friend is like, come here, come here, come here. Let, it, let me show you. Brings us into the kitchen. And she's like, here's the kosher chicken. I'm so excited. Um, I made my mom. She like opens the oven. It's baking. She goes, I made my mom's most favorite awesome recipe. I'm like, oh, yeah, what is it? So you soak it in milk. (laughs) I was going to ask if it was like... Chicken parmesan we like, or something? Oh, I was I like, know. yeah. Oh gosh. <laughs> we were, and we were like, yeah. and so we both like did that thing where you don't look at each other, but you look at each other like through the side of your head. And we both had like had an entire like mental brief mind raise going on. Like, what do, do? what do we do? What do we do? What do we do? And it was like, say nothing, say nothing, say nothing, say nothing. Um, what should we do? What should we do? Like with the cake, what do we do? Do we tell? Do we say, oh no, you've defiled 40 chicken breasts? Do we say Thank you so much. And then not eat it later and, and and risk her noticing. What do we do? Well, I'll tell you.
3: <laughs> well, what, you could go know, around and be, be like, Dan, what would you do? Around? Lex, what would you do?
2: Okay. Yeah, lightning round. I don't know I what your practices would, are. So...
1: Yeah, so. I have a very long thing I could say about how I believe that chicken and dairy is kosher and I had a Karaite phase of my life and Karaites are a group that hold by that. Um, wow. But suffice to say, I would eat it and I would not, even from a non karaite lens, there's a number of practices I have in my own life where I do X for myself and I do Y for if I am in the company of others and they are sort of doing their best like this to sort of meet judaism on its terms and i have things that i do in slightly different ways in those situations i still have red lines but there are things that i would do differently i would eat it
0: i would just say that my wife and i often look at each other and say what do you think of the odds that the milk came from that chicken's mother
3: Mm. (laughs) i was gonna ask Lynn i have some follow-up questions (laughs) because this is a classic gina (laughs) here we go um one is welcome to episode
2: 11 of a venture brief (laughs) Were the hosts Jewish? <laughs> no, not didn't even have, I
3: mean, So the hosts were not Jewish at all. Not a Jew in sight. Not a Jew in sight except for you and David. They were okay. doing it for us. I would apologize profusely for not having explained what Kashrut was to them and uh, kosher laws. And I would say, I am so sorry that. I didn't make it clear that for me, it's is—it's like, it isn't enough. If just the meat is, there are other things that happen. And I would probably have that conversation and just like apologize for not being clear to them at the outset when they offered to do this for me, that I wasn't more upfront about what my needs actually were, and that this would not really fly. And I'm super duper duper sorry. But my husband yep. would, would do a lex and be, he'd be like, well, if he actually ate cheese at all, he would be like, <laughs> chickens, not meat, dude. He's totally waiting for that moment when Mashiach comes and we can have chicken parmesan again. Mm.
1: <laughs> well, chicken parmesan has eggs. And so chicken and eggs, I actually think brings up a whole other set of questions Ooh. because chickens actually create eggs. And that it brings up. Mother- I, I, I was is, part of yes. a, a wonderful debate at the local Hillel about chicken parmesan. It was good stuff. But so what did you do?
2: We decided to eat the chicken, given how hard she had worked and given also mainly her like for us, the value was give her her joy. Let her have her pride and her moment because it's really not a big cost to us in our giant scheme of literally never else eating meat and dairy. Gina's principle equally valid was there is a line I can't cross and I'm not going to torment myself about being clear that I am not going to cross that line. And I'm going to find the most gracious way to communicate that I've got a hard line here and I've got, I've got that my value in this case is numero uno and that's utterly defensible. They're just, and they're totally different outcomes, but they're, um, that's how that, that is to me, how principles and values generate advice.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I think that that's, very important and the the other piece i really appreciate about gina what you said is as i gave my answer i realized and i'm realizing now like even afterwards it would be important to me like i'm a jewish educator end of the day right like i i both get joy out of talking with people teaching people about judaism and i take it as a kind of responsibility to educate and even though Mm. for me I do stand by what I said and I would eat that in that situation. I would want to have a kind of teachable moment with those people because it is possible that they'll interact with Jews in another situation and that their practices might be different. And so I think it's worth them knowing that and I think right. they'd also appreciate knowing that. I've had I've had versions of this with with many people in the past. I mean, folks are terrified, like, because I've had people over Passover, right? Oh, like, gosh, and Passover is a oh, whole God, other yeah. thing. <laughs> um, and by the way, my Passover is not sufficiently strict that like people couldn't bring anything at all, but it is still like people try to Google stuff and one thing says this right. and the other thing- Can
2: like, we bring quinoa? I don't know, I right. don't know.
1: Right, right, exactly. And I try to like educate and just sort of get people to feel a little less anxious in the future so that they they feel like they're well positioned mm. if something like that happens again, both to, to make a decision themselves or to make food or whatever themselves, and if other friends of theirs who are also not Jewish, like to have, like to do some education so it's not yeah. always just on Jews, right? Like to, to set up one person who's not Jewish to have that conversation a little better. Anyway, like- Damn that, it,
2: that's a missed opportunity for me. I'm texting my friend now. We should have said that. <laughs> we should have eaten the chicken in my world. We should have eaten the chicken and then said afterwards, listen, Ellen, there's a thing about the milk.
3: My experience has been that folks, Jews, non-Jews, whomever are really psyched to hear some of the mm-hmm. behind the scenes, some of the why that way. Oh, I have fought this, but I grew, you know, I grew up and I saw my neighbors doing this and didn't know exactly why, but you just said, Oh, now I get it. And so I think that there is a, an element of practicing Judaism. There is a larger benefit beyond us and our community for it. Like, I, I'm not gonna get on like the uh-huh. whole chosenness train, but our presence here, what we do, how we do it has value. And I think particularly in the United States at this moment, the Jewish community is uniquely situated to use everything at our disposal to bring about the future, I think, that we believe all humans deserve, right? Like, I think that, like, there's a world that's possible, and that we are uniquely situated right now to be a part, to be agents of that change and bringing it about. So it's bigger than just, like, explaining to Ellen, you know, here's why the chicken, you know, giving her the straight dope on milk and meat. But, like, what is bigger than some of these questions that, like, What's the bigger ask of Jews right now, and and of and of what we contribute to progress and the world, and that's how I think a lot about just our role, which is a big jump from
2: what yeah, we just jump. talking about. It's a big jump from um, explaining that mayonnaise is not milchic.
1: <laughs> so yeah, we we did just sort of make a jump, right, in a certain sense, from the the micro of a specific question around chicken and and milk etc to macro around the world we want to be creating right but to me that's actually a feature of of this genre right like that's the the point it it actually is the case that when you talk about micro seemingly micro things like food l- like little things in our lives like the bad boss whatever it is it, it i actually think it's not an accident that that tends to zoom out into really broad, grand questions about what the world should be. And I think that's good. And I, I wanna bring this up, we've talked about different kinds of Jews, Orthodox, non-Orthodox, et cetera. Like I am very much not an Orthodox Jew, um, but sometimes I have conversations where I think about like, what are the specific strengths of Orthodox Judaism, the specific strengths of Judaism that are not Orthodox, specific weaknesses? i like, I think that we have a deficit in non-Orthodox Jewish life of should questions
3: Mm. of
1: should conversations and by the way even when we're interviewing folks on our own show i have learned over the years to not ask especially academics that's a whole (laughs) other thing but a a lot of people are really uncomfortable if you say should x be different should like what should the world be like what should, should, should like there's sort of i don't know if it's a product of our our historical moment or like how sort of contemporary liberalism works versus like but there there's there's this sense of like oh everybody should sort of be whatever they are and to ask a should question especially about like what an individual should or shouldn't do in their life it's like how dare you like people should do what's right for them and while i i stand by that i i am somebody who believes like deep to my soul that there are different ways that different people sort of quote unquote should Act in the world. I also think that when we ask should questions, when we ask, what should the world be? What should our Jewish community be? What should we do with the chicken dairy situation? Like, I actually think that those questions are able to achieve certain kinds of goals more effectively than questions that are just about what is, not what should be. And so I'm really happy to see the growth of a podcast that starts its episodes with, what should I do? I've had so many moments where I ask should questions as a as an educator to a room of people. And the first response or the first few responses are, I don't think there's a should. Mm. So like, like, I, I, I want to I reject the premise. And I think everybody needs to do what's right for them. What work is a should-based podcast, an advice podcast, where people actually ask what to do and you give answers? I, I know you sometimes give multiple answers. I know you sometimes might leave certain questions a little less answered. But like what is that should process doing and i guess to the extent you agree with me like how w- would you in fact also call for more shoulds in a world that is kind of uncomfortable with shoulds
2: mm. i can see where that's coming from today you know i can see where the the anti shouldness is coming from and i think it's coming from an understandable place recovering from way too many shoulds um, narrow shoulds. There should be only two genders, you know, but I wonder, I do to your, it's a great question because of course I wonder, aren't there overarching shoulds like we should live in community? Probably yes. And then I think, so it's like, where's the should and where's the freedom of choice, right? Like if you say, oh, we should all live in community, that kind of that gives you some stuff that it's that you don't really have a choice about but it still allows for a lot of choices, a lot of things you do have choice about. So that's my philosophical, that's my sort of first, you know, first hot philosophical take on what you're saying.
3: (laughs) (laughs) The process of, of asking and answering a should question is actually where you see vision. You get to a visionary place, you get to like forward movement by asking should questions like what should we do to get to that place because we don't all know and so i feel like and we also know i know from my work in in political communication that people are motivated and inspired by future forward looking propositions and messages and ideas and we don't get to those places if we're in the anti-should camp Like we get there by asking the types of questions, Lex, that you say we oftentimes are reluctant to do these days. But I think that actually the process of asking and answering questions just like that is a way of opening the tent, bringing people in and then making it bigger for everyone else.
2: I had an old roommate and dear friend of blessed memory who used to joke, I don't know where the joke came from, but about like I don't know, indecisive activists, or I forget what the premise was, but we used to always joke around and go, what do we want? We're not sure. When do we want it? Whenever." (laughs) Um, So like, that's a world without shoulds. Like, that's not really what we're going for, right? Like we, there isn't, like, what do we want is the answer to that is a should.
1: So we are arcing towards the close and we've covered a lot of ground um, right down to chicken and dairy questions, which is delightful. (laughs) Just as a final question, what have you gleaned so far from this first set of up brief episodes and what are you excited about moving forward into the future?
3: You know, I feel like when we were doing season one, it felt like we were building the plane as we were flying and we jumped right in to the cockpit and just started going. And we didn't, we weren't exactly sure what we were going to create. But I think that ultimately, we, we've begun to create something special. And I want season two to be more intentional. I would love to be able to have a report back element. So like, let's check in with the folks that we've given advice to. Remember, back in the day, you sent in a letter, you weren't getting a personal letter back. But now we have a direct line of communication with people. We've already heard back from Heartbroken Bubby who says, hey, you know, thanks for your advice. Here's how things are going down in in our world. And so we'd love to be able to kind of come full circle with people. I do think one of the challenges that we wrestle with is kind of this change in Jewish community and sort of change in in forward audience, right? Like we mentioned earlier at the top of, of this pod about, you know, what Forverts, right? The the Yiddish forward used to be and who its audience was back in the day. The word we didn't say when we were talking about that were socialists, right? Like we didn't throw that word out Mm -hmm. there, but like the forward, like has a, a political history that is really tough in this political present. And I think representing the full breadth and depth of the Jewish community is in some ways easier because now we know who we are, we know where to find each other. But it's also harder, because we are not a monolith anymore. Not that we actually ever were as Jews. But in the United States, at the turn of the century, just about every Jew was speaking English, just about every Jew did come from a small number of countries in Eastern Europe, right? Like, I think that that reality is, is something that we're wrestling with, too.
1: We're arcing in a positive direction for folks looking to connect to historically socialist organizations in Jewish life. I do think there's a growing crop of of Jewish socialists out there. Absolutely. I think that's exciting. the other thing I love the report back's idea. Um, I think if you're checking back in with people after they've gotten their advice, I think the logical name, if you've got bento briefs, is to call that bento boxers, and then it's like you're you're going back <laughs> at it. And um, in, in, you mentioned the word wrestling, but this will be like boxing at each other and like hearing if you got the advice right, and also you get the boxers and briefs. Pump. The bento um,
3: boxer segment of a bento brief. How about? That? yes
1: exactly you could play the famous boxer simon and garfunkel nigoon sounding song
3: yes we'll see we'll see
1: funny note to end on but thank you so much for joining us this has been a fantastic conversation
3: you are so welcome loved being here thank you thanks so much lex and dan it's been great
1: And thank you so much to all of you out there for listening. We hope you've enjoyed this episode and we hope that you'll tune in again in the future. We also hope that you will uh, head on over from our podcast to... A bintel brief to their podcast. You can find them on Apple Podcasts, or Google Podcasts, or Stitcher, or wherever the heck you're listening to us. That's also a place where you can listen to a bintel brief. Uh, if you're on our website, that's the one exception. Just go to their website, The Forward, uh, and they have an, a section for a bintel brief. Um, definitely give them a listen. It's another great podcast in the Jewish podcast ecosystem. We hope that you'll check it out. We do want to close out by encouraging you to be in touch with us, and there are a wide variety of ways for you to do that. First, you can head to our Facebook or Twitter or Instagram pages. Those are all Judaism Unbound. You can head to our website, judaismunbound.com. And last but not least, you can hit us up via email at dan at judaismunbound.com or lex at judaismunbound.com. The last request we like to make is that we deeply appreciate any amount of financial donation that you're able to send our way, and you can do that via a one-time gift or a monthly recurring donation at judaismunbound.com slash donate so thank you so much for listening and with that this has been Judaism Unbound
3: it's Delish music.